Welcome, friends, to Workplace Injury Prevention, a Fit for Work podcast where we are bringing the power of prevention to you. I am your host, Curtis Kopotic, and I am joined by my co-host, Amber Brown. And today we are joined by Eric Gislason and James Rethbar. Eric is the executive director of the National Association of Safety Professionals, a leader in innovative safety training. And James is the vice president of technical operations at Fit for Work. They are co-teaching an upcoming course and talk to us today about work-related musculoskeletal disorders in relationship to the physical capacity of workers and the demands of their jobs. So they do a really good job of discussing what steps we need to be taking to make sure that uh, as safety professionals, we look for those ergonomic issues that, in a way that is going to be proactive and in a way to get the most effective use of our time and how to avoid certain pitfalls that we can fall into that can slow down that process. Exactly. So we are really excited to have Eric and James with us today and you along to listen. So today we have Eric and James joining us, and we're going to be talking about how musculoskeletal disorders and how they work in relation to individuals' uh, physical capacity for those workers to meet the demands of their job. So we kind of want to bring all those points together. So start by defining what are musculoskeletal disorders and also what is meant by the physical capacity of workers combined with the demands of their jobs. So, Eric, can you start with this question, please? Yeah, Curtis, I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you guys today. Uh, I think we all know the, the concept of ergonomics, right? It's defined as the science of matching the physical job or task requirements to the you know humans and our capabilities and limitations. I often joke in some of my uh, ergonomics training classes that, you know, creating an effective ergonomics program is not rocket science, but the, the truth of it is there's there's a lot of science uh, behind it in other areas like uh, anatomy and physiology, anthropometrics, biometrics, kinesiology, uh, factoring in psychosocial factors, and all of those elements kind of combine together to develop and design a process that will really you know allow employees to interact safely and effectively on the job. I would say, you know, the best approach to studying ergonomics is to kind of consider how employees can work really according to nature, right? Rather than work in contradiction to the, the laws of human nature. You know, we talk about ergonomics being a fit between the employee and the, the tools and their tasks and environment. But I think it's really important to note that the intent of ergonomics is to design the job to fit the employee rather than physically forcing the employee's body to fit the job because you get that mismatch and, and that's where you have uh, ergonomic injuries. Typically, there's three main types of ergonomic injuries in the workplace. Uh, we're talking cumulative trauma disorders, uh, repetitive motion injuries, repetitive strain injuries, uh, typically caused by a variety of different factors that, that we can talk about later. And ergonomic injuries, unfortunately, are, are ubiquitous. Uh, doesn't matter if you're young, old, male, female, we, we all have that propensity. And I, I mean, it can affect the arms, the legs, the back, the hands, wrists, fingers, neck, shoulders. Uh, so you have a lot of these common ergonomic injuries like carpal tunnel syndrome, tendonitis that can lead to uh, Dequerbane's disease or trigger finger or Raynaud's syndrome. And of course, the biggie, the, the really big one is, is back injuries. And Bottom line, ergonomic injuries are costing 
hundreds of billions of dollars every year to workplaces. And if you can believe this, the statistic is one out of every $3 spent on workers' comp is going to ergonomic injury. So it's, it's a huge problem. And also something that can be completely preventable too, as as we've discussed many times and we'll discuss further today. James, Eric did a good job of kind of breaking down what some of those injuries are, specifically by name. Can you maybe talk to some of the signs and symptoms that people on site might be experiencing and then, you know, kind of a little bit more into that significance of those musculoskeletal injuries within the workplace? Yeah, not a problem, Amber. Uh, Eric did a great job describing the three main, what we consider categories or buckets, but just to go into a little bit more detail. So once it becomes a strain and sprain, that's what most folks are, are aware of. At that point, it's already an injury. Uh, but, you know, some of the signs and symptoms that, that we're discussing are related to the musculoskeletal system. And when we're talking about musculoskeletal system, we're really talking about what the name implies, muscles, bones tendons, ligaments, and pretty much the nerves that innervate all of that. So early signs and symptoms would be joint, muscle, tightness, soreness, and then also fatigue, whether it's mental fatigue, physical fatigue, you know, that's still a symptom. As we know, with as you get more fatigued, you're more likely to make mistakes, whether it's on the mental side that, you know, leads to mental exhaustion, mental exhaustion can lead to physical exhaustion, and vice versa. So we talk about those as well. And then from a neurological perspective, Eric mentioned, you know, the big one being carpal tunnel. That's that's a big one. Or disc injuries, uh, the bat. Uh, those are the ones that people hear that and it's like, oh, you know, red flag goes up, red flag goes up. There are other types. Uh, Eric mentioned those as well. What we'd call neurological, where you have either hyposensitivity, meaning numbness, or hypersensitivity, meaning you just barely touch the skin and all of a sudden it's like, wow, that really hurts. Like someone just lights up. And that could be from nerve compression. That could be, you know, like someone's working on an assembly line and their quadriceps or their thighs are leaning up against the conveyor. And all of a sudden they have a contusion going across their quadriceps or their, their thighs there. And they're having these alternating bouts of it's numb, it's painful, it's numb, it's painful. Same thing, you know, with someone resting their hands and wrists on a sharp edge of a, of a workstation carpal tunnel, you know, it's, it, that's more repetitive motion, but this would be a nerve compression injury from actually compressing that nerve. And then all of a sudden you're on something soft or your elbows and hands and wrists are supported. And now all of a sudden you don't have that numbness. So talking about the significance of work-related injuries, musculoskeletal disorders, we'll call them MSDs for short. When you think about it, there's over 250,000 injuries uh, occur each year that are related to musculoskeletal and uh, that's 22%, roughly 22% of all non-fatal injuries. And, and when you put a dollar amount to us, this kind of fluctuates each year, but not so much. But when you look at direct cost, as far as, hey, this is what an MRI was, this was what a doctor's visit was, this was a physical therapy visit, you know, God forbid, surgery, you know, things like that. You're looking across the U.S., $20 billion a year in direct cost. And, and that seems large, but then you think of the indirect cost. So now you have that person who's out of work and you're having to recruit, hire, train someone to get back up to speed, to, to be able to carry on business operations uh, as usual. And you're looking at about $60 billion a year. Statistics kind of bear out, depending on which metrics you're looking at, between 40 and $60 billion a year in indirect costs, plus the, the $20 billion in direct costs. So you're looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of 80 to $100 billion per year due to musculoskeletal disorders. 
So Eric, what are some of those uh, ergonomic risk factors that really need to be evaluated in the workplace to help put a dent in this? Yeah, there's. it's a lot. It's a lot to do a full comprehensive uh, assessment, uh, a lot to unpack, uh, especially in a, in a quick uh, podcast like this. But you know, one thing that we probably don't think about when we're doing an ergonomic assessment is the really the demographics of your actual workforce before you start looking at the tasks. Uh, we have to take into account the age. You know, do we have an aged workforce? We have to look at male versus female if they're both doing the same job. What about their height or their weight or their physical strength? I mean, because that can make it difficult to modify some of your workstations. You really have to take that into account first and, and make a determination of, you know, who's going to be more prone to ergonomic injuries uh, versus other workers. Once you've done that, then you look at the actual risk factors of a particular job or a task. And that can include things like the frequency or repetition. How often? How often are they doing that particular task? And don't confuse that with duration, meaning how long. You know, if they're putting rivets on a piece of sheet metal, 25 rivets in a two-minute period, but they're only doing it twice a day, maybe that's not a big issue. But if they're doing that all day, then you've probably got some ergonomic stressors coming into play. Then you look at uh, things like force and exertion. Think about pushing or pulling objects uh, in the workforce. There's a lot of strains and sprains that can be developed on you know, your legs, your back, that type of thing. Think about contact trauma or contact stress grip strength, things like static exertion. I think about, you know, maybe drywall installers hanging sheetrock. Think about holding overhead with those those types of postures, awkward postures for long periods of time. Or what about if you just stand? You know, I've, I've been to facilities where people are standing for 10 to 12 hours a day uh, or sitting for 10 to 12 hours a day. Which is worse? Which is better? Well, it's a combination of you, you shouldn't do either one of them for long periods of time. We weren't designed to sit all day and we weren't ex- designed to stand all day. And then you look at heavy dynamic exertion. Think about people that are throwing around boxes in a warehouse or moving heavy objects, picking them up, definitely back straight in there. Uh, I came from the meat processing industry and uh, automotive industry. There was a lot of back injuries for uh, a lot of heavy lifting in areas like that. There's so many contributing factors. Vibration can be a real problem for some employees working on types of equipment that cause vibration. Environmental factors, lighting, hot weather, cold weather. Uh, so there's a variety of factors that you have to take into consideration when developing an ergonomics program based on the factors that you see in your workplace. Hey everyone, John Grove, CEO of Fit for Work. We'll get right back to the podcast in a minute. But if you are tired of chasing injuries and working hard to get those numbers down, Fit for Work can definitely help. Our clients see a 50% reduction in the number of injuries and associated costs and enjoy the efficiency and ease of interacting with a turnkey program. Now, there are four ways that we partner with employers, on-site early intervention, industrial ergonomics, safety compliance, and employee testing. And while many people know us as working with large companies, we do have ergonomic and safety solutions for small and medium-sized clients as well. Imagine how your day-to-day would improve if you were able to bring a 50% reduction in injuries to the table. To connect with us, it's super simple. Go to wellworkforce.com, click on Connect With Us button, and put our team to work for you. 
Eric, I like that you bring up environmental, especially because it can be indoors as well. You, you mentioned lighting. I've been at a location where the um, even though it was a controlled temperature, it was set too high. And with the gowns they had to wear, the, you know, the COVID masks, all of the other PPE, and it took an outside person to recognize hey, the temperature is a little warm in here because everybody else, you know, they're used to it. They're coming in every day, but not used to it in a sense of the strain that it's putting on their body. So I'm glad that you brought that environmental factor up as well. James, let's, since we've, we've got those risk factors out there, what can we do to maybe prevent or cut back on those risk factors to prevent the MSDs? Uh, the, the answer to any high-level question is it depends. And in this case, it depends on what are the risk factors as well as what are the root causes? But when you really boil it down, root causes as well as the controls to mitigate that really come into, uh, you can categorize them into three buckets or three categories. And that being engineering, which is your tools and equipment, how the person interfaces with each of those as well, uh, as well as the work process design and redesign. Those are controls, high level controls that can help to either substitute, mitigate, replace, eliminate those risk factors. And then you have administrative. And, and this one's kind of controversial, what I'm about to say, but kind of hear me out on this, job rotations. And recent research has shown that job rotations are not effective. As a standalone solution, that's probably 100% correct. I, I would agree with that. There are no absolutes really in, in what we do with this, but I would say that's a, a pretty correct statement with the disclaimer or caveat of a job rotation. If it's properly designed, at best, you are spreading the risk factor over a larger surface area. So instead of someone doing 100 repetitions of something heavy, if you have four people in there, now all of a sudden four people are doing 25. So the other people may not have been doing that before, and now they're doing 25. Well, can they handle that compared to one person doing 100? Probability-wise, yes. But the cool thing about job rotations is it, it serves a, a few purposes. You get rest and recovery pretty much while you're moving from space to space, whether that's seconds or if it's something that's across an entire plant, it may take a couple of minutes to move around. You may do it right after the mid-morning break, mid-afternoon break, depending on, on how your shift schedules are. But you have that movement, so you avoid those static postures, as Eric was mentioning, and you're getting rest and recovery from you know, if you're doing fine motor movements and stuff. But as well as it helps operationally, as far as now you have folks who are cross-trained to plug gaps if someone's out on PTO, illness, death in the family, anything like that, and job enlargement, which you know that's been shown here lately to help with job satisfaction and retention, something that really can't be overlooked. So as far as reducing musculoskeletal injuries, job rotations may not be the best as far as administrative control, but they do have a purpose and they fit into this whole systematic approach. Other administrative controls could be additional breaks and, and recovery time. Hey, we know it's South Texas, it's 100 degrees and it's 90% humidity. Hey, you know what? We're, we're going to take extra breaks. We're going to take extra water breaks, you know, hydration breaks. We're going to give you extra time to do that. Equipment maintenance is huge as well. I always tell the story of going into a warehouse and it takes a hundred pounds of force to move this pallet with a couple items on it. And, and that just doesn't seem right. And then I look at the bottom of the pallet jack, not to sound too disgusting, but it has like hair, gum, plastic, wood. And you remove that, and I got it down from 100 pounds of force to push that to 20 pounds of force. So just equipment maintenance like that, or as well as a defective caster, 
on a cart makes a huge difference. And also establishing standard operating procedures and best work practices. Those are huge for administrative controls. And then you get into behavioral, which is the training-based approach, whether it's classroom, on the floor, a combination of both, virtual, however it is. But if you look at kind of like the hierarchy of controls and effectiveness, if you look in the research, it'll say that engineering is the only one that's a standalone control. The other ones are supplements to engineering, but I tend to not agree with that. I also think that engineering isn't a standalone control because you can have a, a $20,000 vacuum lift assist device in there. And if you haven't trained the folks, behavior control, once again, haven't trained the folks on how to utilize that, that just became a $20,000 hat and coat rack. So to me, it's this multidisciplinary type of approach to it with the engineering. And then you have the administrative and you know the psychological aspect as well from the behavioral perspective. James, I feel like every time we have you on, we think of another podcast topic to have you back for. So <laughs> I don't think we've ever done one on job rotation. I hope our listeners are as intrigued by that as I am, because I think we're going to have to get you on again for that. But the other thing is we have you both on because you are leading a course upcoming in June titled Workplace Ergonomics Specialist. And if somebody wants to learn more about kind of what we're talking about today, as far as the relationship between ergonomics and preventing musculoskeletal disorders, Eric, can you give us some details on what else those people that would attend kind of can expect to receive from this course, other than the great tidbits of information that you provided today? Sure, absolutely. Uh, yeah, we're excited about this, Amber. It's going to be a really a jam-packed two-day course in sunny Orlando, Florida. And uh, that's going to be on June the 15th and 16th. We could use a little sun right now. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But our goal for really the attendees is to provide these folks with tools and resources necessary to really implement an effective ergonomic injury prevention program. You know, all too often I, I go into facilities and I ask them, can I see your ergonomic program? You know, what, what are you doing in the way of ergonomics? And they say, oh, yeah. You know, when somebody experiences an ergonomic injury, we do this. And then they say, you know, we put them on light duty or restricted or they go to a physical therapist. And that's not what an effective ergonomics program is. I mean, post-injury management is important. And we'll talk about that in the class. But we know that's reactive and, and not proactive. In this class, we really want to teach you how to identify and control these risk factors that we've been talking about. You know, and there's a variety of methods out there. There's time and motion studies and strain indexes and RULA assessment tools, NIOSH lifting guidelines. And let me tell you, James and I will talk about that. They all have their pros and cons, and, and we'll discuss that. And then you as a student, we, you know, we want you to be able to take this information and go back to your facilities and apply it and do what James was talking about, engineer out the hazards. Maybe you can administratively control it. PPE is not typically something we recommend from an ergonomic perspective, but there are opportunities to use PPE as well. This course is going to be very interactive. Uh, we encourage students to bring examples of maybe ergonomic problems and, and solutions if they've already figured them out so that we can discuss it in class. And then the students finally will get a nice comprehensive training manual, sample plans and programs on ergonomics, OSHA and ANSI guidelines, even PowerPoints if they're wishing to kind of provide ergonomics training in-house. So it's going to be a lot in a two-day period, and we are really excited. And just to add to that, the, the really cool thing about this and something that I'm really 
pumped about is Eric and I are both from industry. As he mentioned, you know, this is going to be actionable applied ergonomics. This isn't going to be the theoretical, well, in the best case scenario, here's what we do. It would be this $250,000 solution. No, it's going to be something that you can do in-house, something that makes sense. One of the myths out there, and this is something that I always kind of bring up, is a lot of folks have kind of been burned in the past with ergonomics or something under the guise of ergonomics. And perhaps many people see ergonomics as it's a nice to have. It's not a need to have. And the honest truth is it is a necessity. It's it's a need to have. We are working with human beings in some shape, form, fashion, and human operators have capabilities, capacities, and this is something that is a priority. It's, it's not, yeah, it would be really cool if we had the money, time, budget to do that. No, this is something that's actionable. It's cost-effective if performed correctly. And I'm not saying we're going to give away the entire secret sauce because, you know, Eric and I are only going to have two days with these folks, but, you know, we're not going to hold anything back. I mean, this is going to be something that you're going to be able to take back to your industry, your organization and apply it. It's going to be actionable that what we're going to discuss, teach, interact with the folks on is something that can be applied in any industry, whether it's, you know, manufacturing, warehousing, transportation, department of defense, you name it. This is something that can be applied everywhere. And I'm really, really excited to do that. Great that you have a have it set up to be simple and a lot of great effective take-home actionable things that people can do. So uh, those who are interested and want to find out more or register for the course, where do they go to? Where are you going to send them? The uh, registration information is on our website. We're the uh, National Association of Safety Professionals. Website is www dot naspweb.com and it's going to be right on our home page to register or you can also go to a live classroom the tab at the top and click on that and get more information awesome thank you so much both of you i think it's uh was really great to hear your your insights on that and really make a difference in people's lives so thank you so much both eric and james hey thank you guys thank you for having us It was nice to have Eric and James on together. They are a great duo. I don't want to pick which one's Batman or Robin, but they are a good dynamic duo in helping to promote safety. And one of the things I love that they emphasized was just how an ergonomics program is not a reactive program. That's completely different. The er true ergonomics has nothing to do per se with the workers' comp system. Those are those are different. They can work together, but in the end, you want to address all of these ergonomic issues in that proactive approach. That is a true ergonomics program. That's where you get true success from is by making that effort to putting it at the forefront and not letting it be a backseat driver to an injury and waiting for an injury to occur before changes occur. Exactly. And Eric even highlighted some of the ergonomic risk factors to look out for. You can evaluate in your workplace and by getting out in front of some of those risk factors, such as repetition or the environment, you can even start preventing some of those injuries yourself. Exactly. And so for those of you, I hope that uh, are able to make it down there and enjoy that sunny Florida weather. But we want to thank you for listening to this episode of Workplace Injury Prevention, a Fit for Work podcast, where we are bringing the power of prevention to you. Please like and subscribe wherever you listen. And to get started preventing injuries, please visit our website, wellworkforce.com, and email us uh, any questions or comments to podcast at wellworkforce.com. And remember, prevention improves lives. 